Hey, good morning, everybody. Can you believe... I, sorry, if we haven't met before, my name is Rob. I got really excited because it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is coming in four days, and do you know what that means? Two things. Well, turkey, but uh, yeah, elastic pants. Uh, I don't know how many of you are friends watchers or were friends watchers more aptly, but there's one scene where one of the characters puts on these giant sweatpants, and he's like, these are my turkey eating pants, and I just live for those moments, which don't happen too often, but those moments when like, you can walk away from a meal, and you're sitting in front of probably football, but maybe a parade, and it's about an hour or two after dinner, and you can just, you can just sense like the turkey and the mashed potatoes and the gravy and the stuffing and the green bean casserole, just as long as you save some for people that really love the green bean casserole and the, the sweet potatoes and the gravy and maybe a salad and the pumpkin pie and the pecan pie and the apple pie followed by some mashed potatoes and gravy. I mean, it's almost euphoric. Like, I can feel the gravy kind of oozing under my skin, and I know it's been a good Thanksgiving. Now, that's one. But very much followed on the heels of that arrival is the other thing. The health club holiday promotions. Have you seen these before? I mean, they, some of them start with like zero down. The other ones start with, uh, my favorite was the YMCA when they had this lady in her elastic pants eating a stick of butter and then just like this guilty look, you know you shouldn't have. Come join the Y. And, and this, ugh, because we know, right? Like deep down that in those moments of euphoria, in those moments of satisfaction with the gravy oozing underneath your skin. We know if we ate like that every day, the gravy that oozes under our skin would become clogged arteries, uh, congenital heart failure, maybe really death. So in those moments of this desire for one thing, there's something deeper, something that really can't be satisfied with our gravy and really can't even be satisfied with our holiday promotions or getting healthy and getting fit. Even though it, it moves to this place of life, it's not truly life. And, and today, as we talk about what it means to encounter God, there is also something deeper. Something deeper than our desire or our instinct to stay alive. And I think we see it in... Um, in our journey through the Bible, but in our journey with church, in our journey with God. Uh, when I used to go to church before I really became a follower of Jesus, I used to think a couple things. Uh, one, I used to think, do I have to encounter God in church? Like, do I have to be here? Because I really loved water skiing. And so about May, actually I lived in northern Minnesota, so early June, late June, July, Fourth, uh, the water got warm enough, but even if it didn't, it, I got to the point where I would suffer with the cold water because I love to feel the rush of the wind blowing around my face and the tug of the boat and just the perfect slice through the water when you would just nail a turn as you're going around and feel your legs start to shake and you knew that you had to let go of the rope soon because otherwise you might wipe out. Those were feelings of, of life for me. 
And so I thought, well, can I encounter God outside of church? But then, I mean, I, I know I should probably go to church. I can't really explain it, but, you know, after water skiing season, there's a little bit of time where sort of golf, and I thought, well, maybe you could encounter God on the golf course. I never did. Um, but hockey season. Because the rush of the ice and the smell of the ice, not the stinky sock smell, but like the smell of the ice and the rush of getting to, you know, sweep right past a guy who's going to pummel you into the boards and that feeling of, oh, I just escaped death. Like, it hits something in you. So maybe, maybe I could encounter God not in church. But compounded with that was, was the second part, which really went to the first part, and that was... Um, we do these things, these spiritual activities, that I don't really understand. Uh, in my church, they called it a call to worship. I don't really get what that is. And, and then we do some prayers of the people and a confession of sin. And I sort of understood it, but I didn't really understand it. And then we would have communion and baptism and tithes and offerings and hearing of the word. And again, I wondered exactly why we did these things. And what does it mean to be spiritual? Are these spiritual activities that we're doing? Is this how we encounter God? Because I believe there's a God, and I've heard that he loves me, and I really do want to encounter him. And I think these two realities between Thanksgiving turkey, and how we feel about church, in that these things kind of collide, and we find this deeper desire where we can encounter God. So if you have a Bible, I want you to go to uh, Mark, sorry, I wasn't sure what I was going to say there, Mark chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 35, if you want a Bible, you can just walk to the back and get one, or... Someone will bring you on if you just raise your hand long enough. It's really cool. Mark 4, starting in verse 35. Jesus has been on a little ministry tour. He's had a hectic day, probably week, probably month, of healings. He's had teachings. He's been in the synagogue teaching. He's been out of the synagogue teaching. He's gone into people's homes. He's healed demons out of people. He's just made people walk. He's made blind people see he's rather exhausted. And so in these kind of this very popular ministry, he says, whoa, we need a break. And it says, when evening came, he said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats boats with him too. So we've got the disciples, we're not sure if they all fit on the boat, and we've got these other boats, probably people that are wanting to follow along. Jesus is exhausted. He wasn't an angel. He had a physical body. He was human in so many of the exact same ways that you and I were human. He's divine, don't get me wrong, but he's human. And he gets on the boat, and he sleeps. Because he knows what it's like to be tired. He probably knows what it's like to be a little crabby, although we don't see him sin in his crabbiness. And, and he knows what it, what it means to need sleep. And it says that, that Jesus was asleep in the boat. 
Now, in these fishing boats, there's this kind of box in the back that is a stern. It's in the back of the stern. It's kind of like a bench. You can, you can sit on it and do the rudder, depending on how big the boat is. And, and so inside it, there's, there's enough room to sleep. So he grabs a cushion, and he goes in there. And the text says that, that a furious squall came up so that the boat nearly swamped. The waves were crashing over it. And, and in those moments, Jesus is asleep, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now here we get this great description of the lake and the ministry and how the disciples are and, and how the waves crash over and the squall comes up. And, and this is where I totally wish there was a little bit more to the story. All right, as the waves are coming over the boat and, and they feel like they're going to drown... Are they going, all right, who's going who's gonna to wake up Jesus? I think, we're, I think this is it. Do they draw straws? Do they, you know, pick a number between 1 and 12? I mean, I don't think so. I think in this moment of this story, there is just a reality that they can sense death. And in that, they have this instinct to stay alive. We all have the instinct to stay alive. We're very adaptable creatures as human beings. And so this kind of squall, this kind of action, this kind of experience of a storm isn't just a boom, wind gust, and then it's over. It's not just a steady, constant wind coming from the south or from the north or the east. These, this this uh, lake is located in between mountains, and so they've got all kinds of crazy, crazy currents, wind currents that come into this Period. So to think about a squall is, I think, to picture someone who is an ADD heavyweight boxer on steroids, okay? So, like, put Holyfield and Mike Tyson and uh, George Foreman, like, all in one person and then shoot them up with steroids and then shoot them up with, like, way too much uh, hyperactivity. And that's what I think is happening with a squall. The waves, the wind, everywhere, even fishermen, even people that have experience in the sea, they don't know what's coming. And they are pulling and grabbing and sliding and running to the back of the boat. Every, I, I imagine every single one of them is running back there to say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? We have this instinct to stay alive, and we're dying here. Now, change the situation. What about the squalls that happen in our lives? Where where something just comes out of somewhere where we have not seen it before, and it throws us down. Or maybe we do see it, we're trying to prepare for it, and it still knocks us over. And then as we're down, another one comes, and another one comes. And in those moments, where does our prayer go? Because I think mine is a lot like theirs. Uh, Jesus, where are you? Are you here? Do you care? Are you asleep? I'm dying here. Do you realize the people at work, they are doing this. And I can't even pray to you at work, or I don't feel like I can. Or, Jesus, I'm graduating, all my friends are finding jobs and moving, and I'm stuck, alone. Or it feels like it. Where are you? 
or my body isn't working. I feel like I've aged 40 or 50 years. Why can't it work? Or the people that I love the most feel the most distant. I just can't even see you, Jesus, anywhere. In those moments, do we see God? What do we think about Jesus? I mean, a storm is a physical experience. We can sense it. Like the wind and the waves and the waters and the cold and the fear. Our bodies are just big, huge receptors of all this information. And it is absolutely connected with our spirit. And so Jesus gets up and it says that he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the waves died down and it was completely calm. And Jesus says, Why are you so afraid? Now, maybe you've read this story before, so maybe you know what the next part is. But if you haven't, it's a good question. Actually, maybe you're thinking, uh, it's a pretty obvious answer, isn't it? Uh, The boat was coming, like crashing over. It was almost going to go down, even though we're good swimmers. We didn't know where the end was. These these clouds, when, when you see a squall, the black clouds come in, and, and it is dark. The water is completely black, and nothing scares me more than black water. I am freaked out. Why do you think I'm afraid? Because everything in my body is telling me to be afraid, because my instinct is to stay alive. That'd be my response. Why are you so afraid? I have every reason to be afraid. Everything in my body is telling me to be afraid. And Jesus says, do you still have no faith? Do you still, do you still not see that the physical and the spiritual are right next to each other? They're overlapping. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that that when we can see clearly, we see like through a veil. But when, when we experience the kingdom of God, the veil's removed. There's only a thin veil that separates the physical and the spiritual. What are you so afraid of? Do you still have no faith? And trust me, I'm not trying to diss the disciples because I would have done the exact same Because everything on the outside is telling me to be afraid and I have the instinct to stay alive. But there's something deeper than that, that desire to stay alive. Now, fortunately, Jesus tells us what that is. So we gotta go over to Matthew 4, from Mark 4 to Matthew 4. See, in these moments where, where the physical is telling us one thing, it is absolutely an opportunity 
for us to encounter God, encounter the spiritual. Because in those moments, what is Jesus saying? In those moments, have you, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Because the physical has become spiritual. And the spiritual has become physical. And in those moments, the unseen is seen. In those moments where we're afraid, in the moments where we wonder, in the moments where we doubt, it's an opportunity for the unseen to become seen. For the spiritual to become physical. For the theoretical to become practical. And Jesus shows us this in Matthew 4. Jesus is in a storm. He kind of put himself out there. It says that he was baptized, the physical became spiritual, and the spiritual became physical in his baptism. And then he was compelled to go into the wilderness. And so he crosses the Jordan, and it says he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, Bible terms, that means fullness, completion. And, and so fasting, if you're not familiar with it, is this idea of, um, well, we, if you had breakfast this morning, then you fasted because you broke fast. You went without food or without something for some period of time. And uh, generally, if you're going to do a spiritual fast, you don't get to count sleeping as not eating. It's during the day when you go without because you become more aware of your hunger. You become more aware of these other things. And so Jesus is becoming more aware of the spiritual because he's physically denying himself food. And in those moments of physically denying himself food, it says, which I just think this is funny, he was hungry. Matthew 4.1, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He had an appetite for something to help keep him alive. When the disciples are on the boat and they're freaking out, they're thinking, stay alive. Jesus, if he was tempted, like Hebrew says, beyond, like we are tempted, then his hunger is way more than just food right now. And it says that Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. This is way more than food. What just happened before this? The heavens split open. The unseen God speaks through his angel of the dove coming down, the spirit of God coming down, and he says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I think that in these moments that the unseen becomes seen, that the theoretical becomes practical, that our physical and spiritual collide. And Jesus knows, not only am I exhausted, not only am I tired, all my instincts, all my human instincts are telling me to stay alive. But there is something deeper than a desire to stay alive. And Jesus knows what it is. And he says, man cannot live by bread alone. Our food, our physical food, yes, it nourishes our body, but that's not truly life. And we have a desire for truly living to true life. We, we, yes, we have an instinct to stay alive, but our desire, our longing for life is to truly 
And Jesus hits this when he says, you don't have to tell me who I am. That's life. Nothing spiritual about the bread. We need it, and we're hungry, but our satisfaction, our hunger, is to have our identity confirmed. To experience the adoption of being a child of God. And this happens with the woman at the well. This idea of our desire to stay alive, our instinct to stay alive has to go deeper than, than that. It's got to go to this, this longing for something more. John 4, ironically, look at that. Mark 4, John, Matthew 4. John 4. John 4. Jesus is on a, just starts his mission in the story of John, and he comes to a well. It's a very sacred well. We actually talked about it in week one of the encounter, Jacob's well. That's where Jacob had the dream, the ladder, met God. Amazing spiritual encounter. And so these, these people called the Samaritans, um, they really think that that's the place to worship God. That's the place to encounter God. And so Jesus tired from his journey, sits down by the well, and the disciples go get food. He sends them off to go get food. Jesus is exhausted. A woman comes. A woman who has the instinct to stay alive. She needs water. She comes at noon when the water's hot, when there's no one there. Why? Because deeper than our instinct to live is our longing for something more, our longing to truly be alive. She is trying to quench something that will never be quenched by real water. Why? Why does she come at 12? Well, most people think it's because she knows that she's going to be shunned. She knows she's going to be rejected. She doesn't come early in the morning when the water's cool, when everybody else comes, because in that culture, that's where the women got to talk. They didn't get to go to work and talk. They had to find other places to talk because they had to do all this work at home. So guess what? If we hang out at the well, because it takes a while, we got to wait. We got to wait in line. We could just say there's a really long line. We're not lying. We're just, you know, stepping back in the line so we can keep having conversation. But she goes at noon. Because deeper than this instinct to stay alive is this longing for something more. And she wants to experience what it's like to be accepted. What's it like to be unconditionally loved? Because she's not unconditionally loved. We find out in the story when Jesus talks to her, he says, go and get your husband. He goes to the place of greatest fear to invite her into faith. It's the, same as the, it's the same as the whirlwind. It's the same as the bread. This longing to be alive. I don't have a husband. That's true. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Why? Because you have this longing to be unconditionally loved, and you haven't found it in husband one, you haven't found it in husband two, three, four, and five, and now you're not quite sure if you're going to find it in this guy, so you're not sure if you want to take that step of commitment, even though socially it would be acceptable. There's this deeper longing for something more, something that would speak to this idea of being truly alive and connected to God. Maybe I'm adding a little bit to the story, but do we not have those feelings? And see, if we miss this, guys, if we miss this, we miss why we do what we do. Because we've got to stop 
thinking that the physical isn't spiritual. We have got to stop thinking that, that these, these traditions or these, these religious activities like communion or offering or fasting or praying is some duty that's totally separate from our desires. Because it's not. We've got to embrace the desire and ask ourselves, what is it pointing to that is deeper? Because really, how often do you think about super spiritual encounters? All right, I'm probably the only one that thinks about that a couple times a day. How often do you think about food? Three, four, seven, twelve times a day? How often do you think about finances? Every time you write a check, every time you spend money, every time you swipe the credit card, maybe not. How often do you think about sex, lust, desires, wanting something? Do we not think about those things way, way more often than we think about spiritual encounters? Because God wired us that way. He put our bodies together. He designed us. The physical and the spiritual are not disconnected. They're absolutely intertwined. And if we get this, we find life. We find the way to life. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Which just means being right with God. Blessed are those who yearn, who have this desire for true life, which is being right with God. See, when we deny it, when we are afraid to trust that Jesus, and I would say only Jesus, will truly, truly fill us up. That, that as much as I want gravy to be oozing under my skin, that that will not truly fill me. That will just keep me alive, not much longer, but, you know, another day. Jesus satisfies us. When we, when we don't get this, we chase those things. And so, so stones into bread becomes food addictions and gluttony, anorexia, bulimia. When we don't get this, then, then go and get your husband becomes a search for physical, fleshly, skin-deep desires of intimacy and acceptance. When we don't get this, then, then giving money or finances becomes this trap of materialism. But each one of those longings points to our full and utter satisfaction that is found in being right with God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If your life is a cup, and you have it three-quarter full, how much can God fill it? If I'm already this full, then Jesus is just going to top it off. But most of the cup is filled with stuff that I've tried to fill it with. But see, when I truly empty myself and am filled totally with God, I feel truly alive. When it comes to the end of the scene with this woman and this encounter 
when she finally takes, lets go of the fear, or fully embraces the fear, and steps into faith, and runs to get the whole town, the people who shunned her, who doesn't run to go get the guy she's with now, who runs to get the spiritual community. Man, that's a sermon and a half that I'll just leave right there. Um, The disciples come back from getting the food, and they're like, Rabbi, eat something, because you're exhausted. You couldn't even come with us into town. You had to sit by this well. And he goes, my food comes from doing the will of God. And they go, huh? And he taps that, that desire for true life. My desire comes from doing the will of the one who sent me. There is nothing good that you can do to make God love you more. He loves you unconditionally, absolutely, and longs to embrace you. And if you've ever been embraced by someone who's truly right with God, it might feel weird because you know you don't measure up. And in those moments, God invites you to let go of the things that are filling you or you're trying to let fill you and embrace the one who can only and truly fill you. Do you believe that today? Van's going to come up. In a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion, a physical experience that has a spiritual opportunity. As we prepare for communion, talk to God about how you're feeling physically, mentally, where your mind is going, and what you're trying to satisfy. And instead, ask God to fill the longing you truly have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for being right with you, God. Uh, May those words not be some religious platitude, but God, may they be the very truth and essence of why we seek you. God, thank you that you seek us first. God, thank you that when we were still not right with you, you died for us. Help us to embrace that fact. God, help us to not reject our bodies, reject our emotions, reject those longings we have, but instead accept the longings and see them as the thing that points us to you. Fill us, God, with your love. If we are in a storm, God, I pray that it would bring utter peace to our soul. And in that, God, you would 